0: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, use as directed. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If,
1: only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: what's up everybody welcome to today's episode of the greatness machine i'm doing a rerun baby we're doing chip conley one of the best shows this is an earlier show so this is back when we were doing live so there might be some q a from the audience but chip conley what a badass i love him wrote the book peak uh all about maslow's hierarchy of needs and how bring how you bring that into an organization ted speaker and founder of mea the modern elders academy where we learn all about his really how he came through all this hardship running Joie Hotels, one of the largest boutique hotel firms in the United States, um, and how he ended up becoming Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb's uh, mentor at Airbnb, and went on from that to start the Modern Elder Academy, which is this awesome, amazing place down in Mexico where they're really like, it's all about second half of life and how to level up and, and just really bring in so much value to the world. So um, one of my favorite episodes, I wanted to bring it back. we are doing some reruns now. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy it. Guys, um, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mishazdeh, and like I said, we have an amazing special guest. I'm fanboying a little bit today because I've been following this man, Mr. Chip Conley, for well over a decade, and I have him here on the show, and I'm so excited to have him and share what he's doing with you guys and the rest of the world. The, you, look, the format of the show is quite simple. We're, br- we're bringing together... People, change makers from all over the world, were living their passions to create greatness. And there's no question that our friend Chip here is neither short of greatness or passion. With that said, you know, uh, I'd like to do a quick, I always like to do these quick little bios. Do you mind if I jump into yours really quickly of here, course,
2: Chip? Of course, of course.
0: Awesome, well you guys look, Chip is a serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, former head of global h- hospitality and strategy, and currently advisor to the founders of Airbnb. He's a TED main stage speaker. His TED talk is unbelievable. Um, hospitality expert and now founder and facilitator of the modern of the amazing modern elder academy. And for those of you guys who are not familiar with that, the modern elder academy is the world's first midlife wisdom school dedicated to career and life transition. So I'm so pumped <laughs> to have you here, Chip. Thank you. Yeah,
2: thank you, Doris. I appreciate it and um excited to uh, you know hopefully offer some wisdom and maybe learn something from you as well. I actually think. One of my key lessons at Airbnb was I, I learned as much from Brian as he learned from me um, I was Brian Chesky's in-house mentor so
0: yeah yeah well, let's do it let's chop it up so you know um I met you and, and I, I, I doubt if you'll remember but it was you did an eO event it was in San Francisco we're both mm-hmm. San Franciscans the reason I p- mm-hmm. picked that song was I saw I saw pictures from the skies of San Francisco yesterday uh, yeah. And, and, I, and I was like, I'm doing Bad Moon Rising today because yeah. that, that looked like to me, I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> but now what's funny is uh, we're both, you're in Austin right now, is that correct? I am,
2: I am, yes. So,
0: so we're both former San Franciscans. You were longer there than I was. And now we are currently Aust- Austinites. So <laughs> you know, greatness travels in packs. Um, and so, so I saw that yesterday. I said, wow, I couldn't believe my eyes. I have a lot of family there and we have friends. And I said, this looks like the apocalypse. It's pretty insane. Right the world we're in right now. But, um, so you, you've, you've now, um, you know, if, if we don't mind going back, you know, I, you had done a talk, Gabe Luna Ostrowski, uh, who, who's, who's an old friend. He, he had brought you in. He was the the learning chair of EO San Francisco that year. This is a while ago. And I was on the board that year and he brought you in and we, we <coughs> did a talk for us. And it, it really blew my mind. I, I was, I was so pumped. I read your book peak, saw the Ted talk over the years. And I was like, I just think that the way that you've approached business is is, is amazing. And I, I find myself quoting you and Maslow and, you know, just this idea around business. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'm serious when I say this, you know, measuring what matters and looking at it from just this different lens. If you wouldn't mind just like maybe talking a little bit about that for, for audi- the audience members who maybe haven't been familiar with your work.
2: Sure. <clears throat> so my just a quick background is I, I started a company called Joie de Vivre. Um, which became the second largest boutique hotelier in the U.S. Um, based in San Francisco, we had 52 boutique hotels. Every every hotel had its own name. So Joie de Ville was a sort of soft brand, <clears throat> um, with uh, 46 of those 52 hotels being around the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I ran that company for 24 years as the CEO. Uh, and during that time, I wrote three books, including Peak, um, based upon using my company as a laboratory for learning. So, you know, I'm I'm somebody who loves writing and learning, and I figured, okay, I was giving speeches and people started saying, well, where's your book? And I was like, okay, I'll write a book. And so I ended up, I've never written five books. Um, I sold that company in the Great Recession. Uh, It was very clear to me I was no longer the right person to be running that company. I had lost my sense of calling of the work we were doing. And I had a new calling, which was I really wanted to write and speak more. So... um, 2010, I, I, I leave the work I leave. And that was a hard thing to do because, you know, you create a baby in your mid twenties and you run it for almost a quarter century. Your full identity is defined by it. Um, Many of your books are related to it. Um, It helps me to see that how you create a great culture and core values are sort of fundamental to a great company. I, I think culture trumps strategy, uh, or, you know, as uh, Peter Drucker used to say, cult- I think culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think I, I, <clears throat> the idea of moving on and doing something new is something that's very hard for younger entrepreneurs. Uh, but I had had a series of things happen uh, around my 46, 47, 48th birthdays, around that, that time. And it just was really clear that something was supposed to change. And I um, <clears throat> took a couple of years off, uh, started a company called Fest 300, uh, a, a website dedicated to the 300 best festivals in the world, um, which is sort of a passion project of mine. I was a founding board member of uh, of Burning Man, uh, and so have been very actively involved in Burning Man for 24, 23 years. Um, and so I, I did that. And then I got a call from the founders of Airbnb, uh, and specifically Brian Chesky, <clears throat> who's the CEO. And he said, you know, we want to democratize hospitality. We've read your book, Peak. We love the whole Peak principles that you you espouse in that book. And we want to actually have a company when it grows up that's a lot like Peak, um, it, like the Joanne company you built uh, based upon the Peak principles. And um, so, yeah. So that was the start of what's been almost an eight-year sojourn with them, taking them from a tiny little um, tech startup. But but when I joined, they they had some growth going on for sure. I mean, right. this was a, this was not a small company. They were, it was a global company already, but it was small. It only had about two hundred employees. So it was not a. I mean, you know, the company grew to seventy five hundred employees before the layoff this spring um, of 25% of the workers. So it was a very small company relative to what it's become. And uh, I was the only person in the company with a hospitality background, travel background, and frankly, the only person who'd ever created a company and been an entrepreneur outside of tech. So um, there were a lot of hats I wore as a result of that. And um, fascinating journey.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's so cool. And and those guys, those, those guys were born out of Y Combinator, I believe. Isn't that correct? That's correct. huh. Yeah. So they were one of the, the the early Y Combinator success stories. And and it was funny, I was following them probably like in 2011, 12, right, right, right around the time mm-hmm. you got there yeah, yeah. and saw and saw that, that they, that they were obviously doing the right things. Um, So jumping to the, this idea that, you know, it's funny what you just said that in, you know, in 2010, when you decided that that you wanted to leave this company that was your baby, that you made that transition. You know, a lot of despite all the hardship of it being tied to your identity, your books talking about it. Um, I actually just did something very similar. I was the CEO of a company that I had grown from. 30 people to about a 1,000 people mm. um, in, in over a pretty short period of time. It took about three years to do that. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, it's funny as utilizing this principles of Peak, and, and I did that mm-hmm. in our company, and for me, it was really leveraging core values as, as the language for everything we did in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it became to your to to your point the experimentation grounds for a lot of the principles that we use for growth and for scale and for building a, a superior company from a you know from all the different more vanity metrics. Mm-hmm. But I kind of hit that wall last year and decided that it was time for me to move on. And I, and and one of my friends said, oh, you'd like pulled a Michael Jordan, you just like quit at the top and I just said it just wasn't right for me anymore. And 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 I'm in this like never never land now where I'm like Really, it's very uncomfortable. I'm I'm ten <laughs> months out. I'm super yeah. uncomfortable, man. Like, so let's really. talk
2: about that. Let's talk about that because um, there's a lot of great research on this, uh, and when I say this, I mean not necessarily leaving your uh, profession or your your entrepreneur career, entrepreneurial career or your company, but the idea of transition. So there's really three stages to a transition, and you're in the middle stage right now. So the first stage is saying goodbye to something. The middle stage is being in the messy middle. And we um, often call, there's a word that we use for this transitional period, which is liminal. To be liminal is to be in limbo in between two things. And then there's the third stage, which is um, starting something new. And it's once you sort of get clear that this sort of caterpillar to butterfly journey has a dark, gooey cocoon in the middle, (laughs) you start to realize okay, where am I? Uh, You know, I am ending a relationship or a marriage. Where am I? Um, I am moving to Austin, you know, where am I, you know, have I, am I still in the messy middle or have I gotten to the new thing yet? And uh, so how do you, how do we know that this kind of three-stage transition is real? Well, 110 years ago, again, Arnold Van Genep, a cultural anthropologist studied indigenous tribes, and he was able to uh, coin the term rites of passage uh Joseph Campbell later uh, wrote The Hero's Journey and a lot of other books about mythology, a- a- amplifying that three-stage journey. George Lucas made the Star Wars films based upon Joseph Campbell's work. And now we can look at anything in life and sort of say, okay, transition is a normal thing. There's a beautiful Dan Gilbert TED Talk. Uh, Dan Gilbert's a Harvard psychologist. Um which is the, if you're looking up, looking for it on Ted, it's about just look Dan Gilbert, future self. And it basically says people at every age from age 20 to 80 vastly underestimate how much change or transition is going to happen in their next 10 years. We just don't expect it at any age. And so what we just need to know is transitions and change are, are part of life. But here's the big and fundamental thing that I'm going to say that you've probably never heard before. There's a big difference between change and transition. Change is uh, circumstantial. It's situational. Um, It means, oh, I got divorced, but I've gotten remarried. But if nothing changed inside of you, if you didn't make a true transition, your landscape of what your life is like may not really change. Similarly, if you move from San Francisco to Austin but bring all of your old baggage, emotional baggage, and don't have a fresh new approach, then you don't be surprised if you have the same results. Transition is different. So where where change is situational and circumstantial, uh, transition is psychological. And it actually requires something happening inside of you. And this is why the caterpillar to to butterfly journey is an important one to articulate. That is a transition, not a change. To transition because formulaically, even though, all of the cells, the imaginal cells and discs that the caterpillar had inside itself was were there to create the butterfly. The fact is, it went through a wholesale change inside of itself. And if you make those that change or that, that transition inside of yourself, you will find that great things can happen out of that. So I have so for me, I'll look at my, my journey and then we'll talk about yours in a second. My journey was I was selling my company. That was the end of something. The messy middle was like not knowing what to do. Yeah, I started this thing, Fest 300, and I wrote a book, but I was a little awkward, not having the role or the identity that I used to have, um, mm-hmm. or just how much you know my my calendar had a lot more space on it, and <laughs> and and that felt made me feel like I was like you know worthless or something, which is so silly, but it, it, that's where I was, and then the then I had to start something new, and that that was Airbnb. So that was my my transition. The messy middle was a- awkward and uncomfortable, but it was necessary for me to have the growth. So, so how are you dealing with this, Darius?
0: Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, it, it's it, it's it's. I think um, I was very confused at first, um, and then and then I. Covid hit. I was going to take my family and go on sabbatical for the year in Spain. COVID hit. That kind of took that away. And and, and I had written this book uh, last year that's coming out next Tuesday that it was really like, it's my, you know, like it's 15 years of my life put into this book around how do you do this thing that I find to be really important? You know, how do you build a core value driven organization? And so the book was i wrote it really quickly and then i just shelved it cuz i said i'm not, i I, said, I can't put this book out right now i'm, I'm in the middle of this like shitstorm and and so and then uh i mean i guess i'm going to be a little vulnerable right now my brother-in-law passed away like uh right when covid hit really suddenly and and i don't know what it was something it was very quick. It was like a three week thing. He got diagnosed with cancer and he, he was overseas in, in uh, right outside Australia visiting their cousin, my w- wife's cousin. And three weeks later he, he was, he was gone. And I don't know, man, something inside of me was like, you have to make this book really important. It's an important book and you need to like do it. So I, I got really aggressive about the book, but to your point, for me, I've always been kind of a workaholic and I have two young kids and, and we're in the house and and i just dove right back into working hard so I, I, now i'm in the tug of war which is you're just going back to your old self like you want to change i traveled 192 days in 2018 and i looked and i said i'm never doing that again but now i'm just locked up you know we're being a workaholic and so now i'm it's, i have an awareness around it which is interesting yeah so so yeah so it's it's the book became the drug Right, and I, I I'm getting through the book launch right now, but, um, I don't know, you know, so you're we're... gonna
2: have to go back, you know, so I am now becoming your armchair psychologist. <laughs> but but you know, you're gonna have to go down, back to the roots to sort of see what what is it that drives you? What is it that actually, where is the work addiction coming from? whether it's the distraction factor? often, often addiction has to, to do with distraction from something else and, and often feelings you have um, where is it come? Where is it a self-worth issue? Where's is the, yeah. you know, the self-worth is coming from? You don't have the self-worth fundamentally because of whatever reason that you, that you would like to have. And so you get it by achieving and you becoming an an admiration or achievement addict. I know that one very well. Yeah, And, um, you know, the only way through this is first of all, recognizing it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, I hate to sound like a 12 step you know, alcoholic or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, the truth is, you know, having, going through the process of recognizing what's happening, acknowledging it, talking about it, often with your, your wife or friends or family, and then asking for help, you know, in all kinds of ways, whether it's so higher power, but specifically to asking for help from your friends to call you on your behavior. And yeah, this is going to be your kids and your, your, your wife. Um, and that is, you know, it's your wife, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay,
2: okay. I just, you know, didn't know. Yeah, I, all good. I thought it was wife, but I, I did. I, you, you could not be married. You could. could be, it, go, it goes okay. many
0: ways these days. Yeah. Yeah,
2: no. yeah exactly. Um, so I think, you know, what I find is that when I am open to being vulnerable to saying, this is something I want to fix in my life. And I, I and I ask for, gentle reminders and support to help people have people call me on it, but in a way that is not punitive. Um, yeah. It does help create the, the shift in habits.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: so, but yeah, and, and you got to figure it also, what's, what's, what's the form of expressing it? Like whether it's journaling therapy, um, you know, singing, you know, it could be art, art form for me. It's I I like writing. And so uh, that's a form, uh, you know, running on the beach for me is a a huge catalytic cathartic experience because I somehow, I I feel a lot when I do that. So that's your process. And uh, otherwise, guess what? You won't change, you will change the landscape, but you won't change fundamentally who you are. And at the end of the day, I think what the reason we're here on this earth is to be able to evolve our consciousness and who we are in ways that make us a better person. And if we are holding on to old behaviors or forms of distraction to not allow the, that kind of evolution to happen inside of ourselves, you'll be surprised at how stuck you'll be. And, and that's when you'll hit your midlife crisis.
0: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. All the way the, did we hit a million-dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Go to claritond.com right now for a discount, so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. Yeah, I think I'm there. <laughs> uh, I think I'm there. I think, I, you you, know,
2: I think you're supposed to come down to MEA. You're supposed to come down to the Modern Elder Academy. And, and well,
0: so it's funny. So, um, so my when when I when I stepped down as CEO of the company, and this was my choice. It was like like everyone was shocked when I did it. Um, my really good friend, um, his wife Kate Kate Shocks. She said. You know, you need to go check. She sends my wife a, a, te- a text, and it's a link to the Modern Elder Academy. She's like, Darius really needs to go go to this. <laughs> and so I check it out, and I, and I hadn't realized you had that you had moved on to this project. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what chips do. This is awesome. And then and then Joshua Abramson, who was a guy I mentored in EO, who I believe you know. Yeah. he's telling me about it and i and i was like oh man i got i i, I do want to come down there um so yeah.
2: once once you know it's it's obviously COVID times makes it harder we do we have evolved mea so it's we're doing something called sabbatical sessions now um starting in october but yeah it's the the, the whole point of mea for me was to take my experience at airbnb where i realized that um they started calling me the modern elder who is as curious as he is wise. And that, what I appreciated it, but I, initially I didn't. It's like, I am not elderly, but elderly isn't, you know, elder is a relative term. I and mean, if, if you're 52 as I was eight years ago when I was there and you're surrounded by 26 year olds, you are an elder, but I was a modern elder, which is different than a traditional elder. And the modern elder is an intern and a mentor at the same time and is curious and wise at the same time. And so that helped me, to see that there are a lot of people in midlife, which I define as 35 to 75, so it's a very broad range. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of people in midlife who are feeling bewildered uh, and a little bit irrelevant and have the opportunity to cultivate and harvest their wisdom and maybe repurpose it somewhere else, which is exactly what I did it at Airbnb. Um, and The program is not specifically just for cr- people in their careers, but you know, a, a lot of people do come for that reason. They want to they want to shift shift or pivot their career they want to say I, what i call same seed different soil they, they mm-hmm. want to they want to actually plant their seed elsewhere um and so yeah it's been a fascinating experience 750 alums from 24 countries now uh it's been uh it's been great so what
0: so yeah let's let's touch on that um because mm-hmm. we, we jumped straight into it you you were you know working with Ryan and the founders of Airbnb—that's the, the these guys grew tremendously, 200 yeah. to 7500 people. That's in in a very short period of time. That's a huge growth, and they had the luck of getting to work with someone like yourself that was really you—you you were a brick and mortar business and being a hotelier, right? Um, so that's that's very human intensive, and obviously tech is more. They're trying not to do that if they don't have to. Yeah. but <laughs> right, like the VCs punch you in the gut if you have too many people. Um, right. they, they want you to automate, but um. So, so how walk us through how did you end up doing deciding to move on to the to founding the the MEA? So, so that, I
2: yeah, so I was originally supposed to just do six months with Brian and 15 hours a week, but within about a month, I was it was 70 hours a week, and it was like, okay, I'm doing a four year thing here. So, <laughs> I, I completely had to remake my life to make space for Airbnb in my life, and I did. Uh, and ultimately, I decided I wanted to write a book out of that. Um, after four years, I I I couldn't do more than four years. I just didn't want to. Uh, it was, it was great. I loved it. And and for four years now, I've been an, an advisor. But, um, so when I left in early two thousand seventeen, I decided I'd write this book called Wisdom at Work: The Making of a Modern Elder. And in the process of writing that book, down in Southern Baja, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas. Um, where I had a home on the beach, I had this epiphany one day when I went for a run uh, on the beach, and it was like, Wow, why do we not have midlife wisdom schools? Why don't we why don't we have a place where people come to reimagine what's next for them and navigate the transitions of their midlife? And we don't have that. And I have to tell you, during the Great Recession, I had five friends, all men, uh, commit suicide, three of them entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. Um, and I wished we had a program like this because uh, I do think that there are a lot of people in midlife who are who, uh, especially in COVID times, you know, it, not only do we have uncertainty, but we have an instability. And somebody pointed that out to me recently and said, you know, uncertainty is always there, but you can sort of take your own. A lot of times, that's your own uncertainty, and you marshal your resources. But but instability is actually is really scary because you you, something that's maybe there's a political instability or a social instability or a health instability uh you get to a place where it's like it feels like wow you you, there's you have no control over this and so i think there are a lot of people right now are exceptionally bewildered and in some case in some cases what it, it really is allowing for is the pause to take a step back and say I'm going to reflect on this. What is it that I want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. And and what am I here on earth to do? And that's obviously a very cliche way to articulate it. And what we do at the academy is exceptionally more deep than that. But that's a question that a lot of people are asking right now. Uh, And it happens during 9-11. It happens during the Great Recession. It happens during these times. Because once we get knocked off our treadmill after running, you know, running, running, running and just doing our normal default world thing, you take a step back and sort of say, you know, is this my wonderful life? You know, is this, is this you know, the David Burns song? Um, <laughs> you know, I, this may not be the life that I was meant to have. And I think that that's, a, that's such a hard question. And unfortunately for men, they are not, we are not as socially adept as women to address our vulnerabilities and um, and even communicate about them. Right. Uh, and so that is another reason why a program like MEA exists. Although the majority of people who come to MEA are women, um, but it's still a lot of men, a lot of entrepreneurs, <laughs> a lot right. of entrepreneurs who've either had a failure or have had a success and they and they're not sure what to do with either one of those.
0: Yeah, and they're 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 both different problems, right? One yeah. one is, one's less of a self confidence issue, and it's, right, well, right. it has its own self confidence issues. Um, and the other one is all self confidence, and then you turn it around. But they're all they're all complicated. And so, um, you know, I went to last year in September. This is about two months before I resigned as CEO. I, I went for the first time to Esselon mm. um, and I did. A, you'll love this. I did a, a workshop with my forum, my EO forum. Um, called the, the the future of masculinity, mm. and it was, yeah, it was really cool. Um, but I'd never been to Esalen before, and and what I had heard was that MEA is modeled after Esalen. Is that true?
2: Um, couple couple truisms there. Uh, so I've been teaching at Esalen for about fifteen years. Uh, oh, I was wow. on the, I was on the board for about eight, and the 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 um, bookstore at Esalen is named after me. So I have a lot of affection for that place. Yeah. I, was, I was supposed to have my 60th birthday party there next month. Not going to happen. Oh, um, yes, Esalen is – so Esalen was the first uh, personal growth retreat center in the United States. It was actually modeled after ashrams and uh, ed- educational uh, institutes in India and um, started in a spectacular location, as you know, uh, Darius, uh, on the coast. Oh, my of and um, – and really, in many ways, was the catalyst for the personal growth, you know, uh, you know uh, human potential movement, um, for better or for worse. Uh, because in the 70s, it really became quite narcissistic. And, you know, there were a lot of elements that it, it got laughed at a lot. Um, and Tom Wolfe wrote a, uh, a, both a book and a Time Magazine cover story on the me generation. So right. which is basically boomers. So when boomers <laughs> when boomers are saying bad things about millennials these days, I say, listen, dudes, you were narcissistic and self absorbed <laughs> when you were that age as well. And I and I would just say I actually think you're even more so, or we were more so as a generation, because actually I think millennials have a point of view that's more globally focused right. uh, around social justice and equity that while No doubt, boomers had a huge impact on a bunch of movements, women's movements, civil rights movement, bunch of movements, uh, gay rights movement. But um, in many ways, it was very US centric. And I think because our issues today are very way beyond the United States borders, um, I think it's interesting. But I would just say, yes, Esalen is a spectacular place to go to have some reflection time, although it is in the middle of a fire zone right now. um, And we're in the midst of COVID and I doubt it'll be open in the next month um, so yeah come, come on down to mea we are opening October 4th for these sabbatical sessions but you have to come for two weeks minimum um, you can read you can read about it at sabbatical sessions calm um, and it, it, it's what it, it is also a place for people to reflect so there's a lot very different environment physically right. but um, a lot of similarities
0: So when, when we talk about MEA and you guys, this is this whole idea is to bring in. And I went to when I was going through, when I first left and I it got introduced to me, I went in there and started seeing all these courses you could take. You could stay and really like, you know, it, it was, it was number one, it's an amazing idea because I, I actually, what got me, what's got me into the messy cocoon mode. I, I was meaning to say this is that I have two young kids. I have a 10 year old and a seven year old. And, and I, I watch. I know that they learn not by what I teach, but what I, what what I do mostly, right? And so, if they're watching me lock myself in my office and work fifteen hours a day, like every single day, or be distracted, I'm teaching them distraction. I'm teaching them to be workaholic, you know. And I learned that by watching my father, who's an entrepreneur, be distracted to be a workaholic. And so, I just said, I don't want. I, I don't want to do that, right? And, and 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 that's where that's where it gets messy, right? Because now it's like, oh no, you're. Do- you know, and then it's to your point, don't sit there and beat the crap out of yourself every single time you do it because now i'm I'm being you know, a harsh critic to myself, you know, and so um when folks are coming down to MEA mm-hmm. that are maybe a Darius, right? <laughs> and they got they're all tangled up. Yeah. what how do you guys approach that?
2: well, there's a there's a whole collection of things we do, but I'll, I'll give you a couple specific examples. <clears throat> First of all, a fundamental piece of our curriculum speaks to mindset. Uh, Carol Dweck's work from Stanford. So just for those who don't know it, you can either have a fixed or a growth mindset uh, in varying degrees uh, in, in various parts of your life. And if you have a fixed mindset, you tend to be focusing on proving yourself and uh, you define success as winning. If you have a growth mindset, you focus instead of on proving yourself, you focus on improving yourself. And success is not defined by winning, it's defined by learning. Helping people move into a stage of their midlife and later where they get comfortable being a beginner's mind, not being perfect at things, being open to making mistakes, um, trying new things that you know we help people learn how to surf down there, we learn help sure. people learn how to bake bread together, how to do improv, how to write poetry. How to you know do yoga? I mean, there's a lot of elements that are sort of woven into the educational experience, right. um, and so there's that. Uh, additionally, we have an exercise called the Great Midlife Edit, um, because the first half of your life is about accumulating, and it's accumulating you know points of view that you got from your parents, your money script from your family, um, your uh, sense of identity of who you are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that knowledge, all those relationships, all those obligations. When you hit midlife, you are carrying a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. and so what we help people to do is to see wh- which of this baggage do they, you want to keep holding on to and take with you, and what's ready to go, and we do a, an exercise that's I can't tell you what we do, but it's a pretty powerful ritual. Um, no one's walking on coals or anything like that. Um, but but it's a it is a ritual, and it happens at sunset, and it's a pretty powerful ritual that helps people to start letting go and editing from their life what no longer serves them. And right. that process of opening up some space in your life by letting go of the things that aren't serving you anymore is really um, energizing because you actually realize how much you've been holding. You know, if you're running the marathon, the midlife marathon from age 35 to 75 with all that baggage you're carrying, no wonder you're exhausted. Um, And so we sometimes call MEA a midlife pit stop um, because you need a pit stop to refuel and regenerate and reimagine. Uh, And we don't really have formalized versions of that in society. And, And yet we have a world where we're living longer, power's moving younger, and the world is changing faster and those three variables have if we don't solve for this will lead to a growing number of people in midlife committing suicide uh, having you know death by despair you know drinking too much opioid addiction you name it i mean uh, the evidence of this is right there in the you know the the healthcare statistics for the united states today and it's part of the reason why frankly the united states is falling backwards you know it's right. it's, one, it's one of i think it's the only developing country in the world where the longevity has actually gone backwards in the last uh five years um not by a lot but by a little you know the rest of the world longevity is growing and our longevity grew for a long time but now we're at a stage as a society where it's not and i you know the times we're going through right now both politically and with COVID, etc isn't helping at all and um sure. So, yeah, we have to make sense of this.
0: So, when you think of you got you, guys, you know, when 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 was M.E.A. founded? Two thousand eighteen.
2: Yeah, early January two
0: thousand eighteen. Right. So, so M.E.A. has been around now two and a half years, a little over two and a half years, and that's that's obviously very early in a business's life. Yeah. When when you think of, you know, Modern Elder Academy in ten years from now, what how do how do you imagine it? What do you think of?
2: Well, there's a few different things. Um, there's, a, there's a paper, a white paper I've just finished uh, with, a, with a, a Canadian professor who's an MEA alum <clears throat> that'll come out a week from this Monday. If if you want to read it, just go to the Modern Elder Academy website and look for the Wisdom Well blog and sign up as a subscriber. It's free. And then you'll get a daily email from me. And, and the one on September 21st, which is a Monday, 10 days from now, will be th- this paper. And it's called The Emergence of Long Life Learning. Um, not lifelong learning, but long life learning, which is very different than lifelong learning. Lifelong learning you can do at age 25 or at age 75, but long life learning speaks to when you're hitting midlife and moving beyond. What are this? What are the elements that define how you learn and what's important to learn at that point? So I, my goal with that paper is to be a catalyst for there to be midlife wisdom schools all around the world. We we may create three or four or five of them and call them Modern Elder Academy. But there'll be other social entrepreneurs and for-profit entrepreneurs, as well as academic institutions. We are getting a lot of colleges and universities calling us now and saying, we're up shit creek, guys. (laughs) You know, we've lost half of our uh, students for this fall. We were already in a bad place financially before this. Mm -hmm. We need to rethink um, how we're going to use our campus. You know, would you like to look at how we can partner? Um, So... So our goal really, and then the the big coup de grace of all this is um, to create MEA regenerative communities, which we're doing in Baja right now. So you have a in the center, instead of having a golf course in the center of a retirement community, you have a a regenerative farm, so uh, with all the best organic principles around farming, you have an MEA campus, a midlife wisdom school. And then you build housing around that, and the housing around that is for people who want to buy into this lifestyle as their primary or secondary home. And wow. for for people who with for whom it's a secondary home, um, they we they put their home in the rental pool. And we have people who are coming for sabbaticals or gap years who just want to come and be part of this wisdom school. And long story short is you built in essence. A an intentional community that's not quite as hippy dippy as the ones that were built in the 1970s, right. uh, and so we are looking at locations um, in about five different places in the United States right now to do that, um, and raising money to to do that. So so there's a there's a lot there. At the same time, there's a there's this little voice in my head that says, okay, <laughs> this is a social enterprise. I don't pay myself anything. I built the campus on, in Baja for free. Um, and let's just enjoy it. You know, this is back back to the Chip and berry story. Like, right. okay, yes, I'm in a new landscape because this is I don't make any money doing this, and it's it's totally focused on the bigger society need. But I still have such of that driven energy, and right. and trying to tell the difference between what's a calling and what's workaholism right. is sometimes hard. For me, the way I and I wrote about this in my book, Emotional Equations, I think the difference is when you workaholism is a purposeful distraction, and the um, the driven nature of it uh, is is unrelenting. Um, and when you aren't in the state of having that, it's hard for you to just engage in life. Right. Having a calling is different than that. So uh, both of them have an obsessive quality to them. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of a, in, in, in a workaholism situation, there's a bit of a, um, well, of, cor- of course it's addictive, and it, there's an element of compulsion. So right. com- there's a compulsiveness na- na- nature to it. Whereas in a calling, it's not so much compulsion as much as it is passion. And, and those are different energies, but they can be very mixed. I mean, you can be both living a calling and a workaholic. and But you better be pretty conscious of this. You know, right. I, I know a lot of the people who listen are entrepreneurs here. You better be pretty conscious of, like, what is it that is driving you right now? And is it is it the compulsion or is it the passion? And who can be your truth teller on this beyond yourself? Right. Be, you know, because it's very hard to own up to workaholism.
0: Yeah. I love, I love everything you just said. You're just, my, <laughs> wheels, my wheels are spinning so much right now. Yeah. So we we have a mutual friend. I met you through Tony Lilios yes. and Tony introduced me to Stegen Academy and, I, and I'm a graduate of that program. Yeah. And um, I, well, the founder, Rand Stegen, uh has this whole ideology around long-termism.
2: I know him. Yes. I like him.
0: Yeah. And so you just had me thinking all about long-termism and we had a guest on the show. I don't know if you know, Rick Sapio. Mm-hmm. Uh, good friends with with Rand Um, and he was talking about his core value of permanence Mm. and how if you have this ideology around permanence and you're going to live a long time what are you going to do in your life to make it where you're able to really have these traditions or these behaviors or these things that you're doing with permanence in mind and also with balance in mind and It just really like what you're doing with MEA, I just speaks to such an amazing, amazing thing. And I'm so, I'm so, so excited for you guys. This is so Well,
2: cool. it's legacy building. And I, I do think that one of the things that we learn as we get into midlife and beyond is what's our legacy. And you know, our children are our legacy, are um, right. the books that we write, you know, are our legacy, are the companies we start and the cultures we, and the core values that we create um, and the kinds of employees who can introduce that are our legacy. And for me, uh, MEA feels very legacy driven. And now you have to be careful with legacy also that it becomes a little bit ego driven. And so for me, I have to sometimes take a step back and just say, so as, as one of my co-founders says, Chip, can you move at the speed of collaboration um, or, the sp- or the speed of partnership? And what he really means by that is this cl- that classic African uh, proverb, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. And I am naturally a go-alone, go-fast uh, kind of person. And, uh, but I have learned how to become a, a pretty good collaborator over time. Uh, but when I'm in the startup mode, as MBA is a bit of a startup, damn I have a hard time slowing down (laughs) partly because I actually so much of it's less less compulsion it's very passion so I know it's more calling driven and it's partly because I really can see the future I can see what this is supposed to be three years from now and I want us to get there uh even even with all of the challenges of the pandemic and the economy as it is right now
0: wow well (sighs) I think we're out of time, man. And i i prom I promise you, I get you out of here in forty five. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you so much. This has been like such a treat to have you. Can you it, it, obviously we're, we'll put in the comments uh, where we can find you at the Modern Elder, uh, excuse me, at the Modern Elder Academy. Is there anywhere else that we want to promote or things? Yeah, like
2: that? Wisdom, if you go to Wisdom Well, the Modern Elder Academy website, you'll find Wisdom Well, uh, which is the daily blog. You know, people seem to love that uh, because it's like a micro dose of wisdom an email every morning from me um, or from one of our guest bloggers. Uh, I, den- I do tend to put a lot of my um, blogs on my LinkedIn profile, so that's another place to look for me. And, and there's also chipconley.com.
0: Great. Yeah. Well, what a treat! So much gratitude having you here.
2: Yeah,
0: thanks. Thank um, you guys so much, and we'll see you guys later. Peace. leave us a review tell us what you love most about this particular episode we love getting the reviews we love to see what you guys love most and if this particular episode you know made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life print screen share it with them leaders are the best givers and after all we're all here to support and grow with each other and in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff. I write about, I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one.
1: lover. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.